Good morning. My name is Zach, and it's an honor and a privilege to be able to share the Word of God with you. I've got two housekeeping items I want to give to you. Housekeeping item number one is that for those that are joining us on the podcast or came a little bit late on our online stream, we just want to extend another welcome back to our lead pastor, Pastor Mark. Welcome back to the Sunstrom family. And yes, you feel free. For those that we got to play a little bit of catch me up, uh, in mid-May, we had a pre-scheduled sabbatical for the Sunstrom family. And in that time, uh, he was given well-deserved, well-earned rest and an opportunity to refine, refresh, and get ready to get going for the new fall season for our church. And we're super excited to see what, what is to come. The second housekeeping item I want to bring to your attention is that we are concluding our summer-long series called Life First. We have had the opportunity to hear from a plethora of different speakers within and outside of our church building. Uh, the life verses really kind of exemplify a passage of scripture that was a profound experience on the speaker. In fact, Pastor Mark kicked us off uh, with Psalm 70 verse 1. He used it as a source of encouragement and comfort. And for those that are on the podcast, I have on the stage displayed a cross with a bunch of threads of all the Bible verses that we talked about through this summer series. We got to hear from Pastor Sandy, our children's pastor, and she talked about Romans 5 verses 1 through 5, the trials, the suffering, and the hope that we have in Christ alone. We got to hear from uh, many of you personal testimonies that got to share from the stage. And thank you for your boldness in sharing your life verse with your family of families. We got to hear from pastors that grew up in this church and are now serving in other churches outside. We got to hear from pastors that are starting to church plant beyond the four walls of this church. All because the threads lead to one specific spot. Everything leads back to the cross. And I figured we've got one more thread to talk about today. The thread that I want to talk about today is Luke 9.23. Now, before I dive into this and dive into the word itself, I want to give some context a little bit of why Luke 9.23 not only holds importance in my life, but holds primary importance in our student ministry here at Limwood, and it amplifies our mission here at Limwood. If you're a regular here at Limwood, you may hear this language from me as I come up and give the welcome or the conclusion. You might hear this like, good morning, family of families. My name's Zach. I'm the next-gen pastor. And that sounds great, but I get some confusion a little bit of like, what is a next-gen pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm here to answer those questions. I've got two roles in my job. One of them exemplifies or maybe is the root, the anthem of why we've done Luke 9.23. The first portion of that is actually our residency program. We have a, a residency program that is meant for post-college students to call them into full-time ministry. We want to develop them personally with leadership and give them tangible ministry experience. I'm so thankful that Limwood is living out a core value. We have one of three core values, living out the core value of leaving a legacy of faith, and we do that through our residency program. And a little side rabbit trail, I recognize that having residents 
doesn't make us as a family, family's lives easier. In fact, I feel like it makes it harder because we're intentional of investing. Because when we're intentional investing, we're intentional in building the kingdom. Amen? And then the second portion of my job is a big passion of mine. It is student ministries. I happen to be the youth pastor at Limwood here. In fact, my wife and I joined Limwood in 2016. Here's a picture of us at our very first Sunday. I just want to point out I had hair when I started. You may interpret that however you want, but I ain't got hair no more. And when we arrived here at Linwood, we were super blessed and honored and thankful of the privilege that we just continuously get to have to serve here at Linwood. We started Linwood Student Ministries with really a small crowd. And we were charged with an idea to give them a mission, a vision, a clarity, an anthem, Luke 9.23. Now, if you come to be a part of our student ministry and you maybe just show up on a Wednesday night, you may see what we call as leaders organized chaos. Here's an example of organized chaos. Uh, It's toilet paper being thrown at me for the kingdom. In fact, if you showed up, it may feel like everything is on fire. And I'm not talking about physically on fire. (gasps) Almost. I'm talking about just, it just seems like pure chaos that's happening. But within our leaders and those of our regulars, they know where this controlled fire is going. Because everything leads back to our mission statement. To reach people for Christ. To give them a place to belong. And to help them grow in our faith. Our heartbeat at Linwood Student Ministry exemplifies this verse. And here it is. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. In fact, these are the words that we say to our students on a regular. Because we believe in the anthem of this verse itself. So my goal is very simple. My goal today is to remind us of the cost of the cross. And to give people an opportunity to hit the restart button. And to do that, we're going to dive as a congregation into Luke chapter 9. We're going to go a few verses back to starting in verse 21. So if you've got your scriptures, please turn to there. If you're in the congregation live, that's page 1609 in the Pew Bibles. If you've got the Bible app, I'm a big fan of that. Go ahead and turn there. If you're joining us online, yeah, I would be so glad if you actually turned alongside with us. That is Luke Chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 21. And as you're fingering along finding that passage, I want to give some background information. Jesus has already begun his earthly ministry. Jesus' account is found in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the book of Luke, we already see, already happened, probably one of the most famous miracles that takes place. Jesus feeds the 5,000. In fact, this miracle is accounted in all four Gospels. Then afterwards, there happens to be a conversation between himself and the disciples. Uh, Peter kind of asks the question, Hey, some some people are saying that you're uh, John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're an ancient prophet. And as the wise wisdom that Jesus brings, he asks a very simple question, Who do you say I am? And this is a pretty definitive point. Because Peter says, 
You are the Messiah. I'm led to believe that up to this point, there hasn't been a definitive statement of saying that he is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Son of God. A disciple, one that is following our Lord, makes a definitive and declarative statement of faith. This is where we're launching off. Have you been able to get enough time to go to Luke chapter 9? Because we're going to read on verse by verse by verse. Here we go. We're going to start with verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them to not tell this to anyone. Now, I have a suspicion. I'm a little pause here. I have a suspicion that Jesus knew the disciples could not fully understand what it meant that he is the Messiah. I, I have a suspicion that when he shared that I am the Messiah, he said, don't tell anyone because they didn't understand the weight or the cost of the cross. He's given them like the whole fastest wait. Wait till you comprehend this some more. Let's put a pin on that. We'll move on from there. Verse 22. He said, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief of priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Again, what a profound statement. Let's remove ourselves away from just reading the passage and said inserting ourselves into the conversation. That's pretty intense. Could you imagine sitting at a table and hearing the Messiah make statements like this, not knowing that he's going to get persecuted on a cross and die and resurrect in three days. And he makes a statement like this because Jesus' teaching is very clear and concise afterwards. He's very specific about the why this is going to have to happen. I think he was in hopes that they wouldn't be surprised when it happened, but everybody was surprised, scared. And he point blank told them that the Messiah, the coming king, would have to suffer, would have to die, and would have to resurrect. I'm, I'm on the position that if I heard something like this, maybe the disciples thought, well, maybe he's raising an army. And he's going to overthrow that empire and that he's going to take over. Jesus does the complete opposite. And he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey passages later as a sign of peace. But one day he would return to the great glory to set up the eternal kingdom that he has established. And this is where we land in Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross daily and follow me. The ESV says, if anyone would come after me, must deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow me. This is where we're going to sit for a while. We're going to sit on Luke 9, 23. Because on first glance, it just brings maybe a false comfort. But when we start diving deeper into this, it kind of gets a little scary. Because Jesus makes a definitive statement that should not be glanced over. In fact, this statement should make us feel uncomfortable a little bit. If not, maybe a little uneasy. This passage, this verse alone, after hearing everything that leads up to this, should bring some uncomfortability to the conversation. There's a subject line. The subject is, anyone who would come after 
me. Notice that Jesus didn't say uh, in Luke 9, 23, anyone that is properly taught in the religious law, that he was speaking to anyone who would come after me. Because the disciples weren't knowledgeable in the religious law. They were fishermen. They were shepherds. They were tax collectors, etc. They were us. And he said, anyone who would come after me. So all of us are in that subject line. All of us have been in that email. And then there are two specific actions that Jesus calls us to. Because this call is not just to be minimized. This action item starts with an internal action item. To deny ourselves. Being his disciples means putting aside our selfish desires, our preferences, our expectations, our personal views. And instead, submitting ourselves to the posture of Christ. There are sometimes I feel like, I feel like I'm doing well. Until I read more and more into God's word, which is one of our second core value, diving, centering ourselves on the word. And I learned that my posture and my opinions does not actually match the opinions and postures of Christ. And so I have to choose. I have to make the choice to deny. I have to make the choice to surrender before God. And as if that wasn't a heavy punch in itself, Jesus continues to lean on. To pick up our cross daily and to follow him. I'm well aware that the audience that Jesus was speaking to they knew the ramifications of the cross, maybe even more than we do. Because in the Roman Empire, they would take criminals who were recently been convicted, and they would take, them, take their cross across the city up to the execution site for them to die. And when Jesus makes this picture of, like, we should carry one's cross, I think the Roman Empire had two objectives. Objective number one is I think the Roman Empire just got lazy. And they didn't want to carry a cross across town. But really, secret objective number two, I think it was a show of strength. Kind of, if you don't submit to our laws as the Roman Empire, this could happen to you. You best obey. Could you imagine seeing this time and time again? And you're like, yep, looks like they messed up. Again, they messed up. Shouldn't do that. There was a fear tactic in having someone carry their cross. And Jesus uses this picture illustration as a challenging description to live the Christian life. Being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, means setting aside our selfish preferences, shouldering one's cross, and following him. How simple, and yet so demanding. Following Christ means total submission to him, perhaps even to death itself. For the disciples, it meant just that. For us today, it may represent the weight or the cost of the cross. It's interesting because this theme of Luke 
9.23 is repeated later on in the Gospel of Luke, specifically in chapter 14, verse 27. After telling the parable of the Great Feast, he says this, Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. A theme to be repeated and reminded to the disciples. A theme to be repeated and reminded to us. But maybe we're just missing the question that's being asked here. Maybe there's a question that Jesus is asking that we're just not catching. Because the question isn't, well, do you know of the cross? I think the average American would know the Easter story of the cross, potentially. But that's not the question. He's adding one word to that. as do you know the cost of the cross? The question is... Do you know the cost of the cross? If we're called to live by the cross, we have to know what the cross means. This has to hold importance. This must cost us. Being a follower of Christian, being a follower of Christ must cost us. Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians, kind of knew this was a problem too. Even in the early church history, He knew that there were people that just didn't understand not only the weight of the cross, but didn't understand why. And so if you're ever in a position that you're like, hey, what what is the gospel? Paul spells it out pretty clearly in 1 Corinthians 15. That's something you can put in your back pocket. If you ever just want to know the ultimate rundown, it's 1 Corinthians 15. Because he teaches it clearly and plainly about what the gospel is. Here it is. If you just need to know that we're all sinners. We're all sinners and we've all messed up in our lives. And because of the original sin, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And then generations after generations after generations after generations later, there came a man named Jesus. Holy man holy God, lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's what's interesting about the story of Jesus not only being arrested and persecuted and tried and sent to his death, Nailed on the cross, he died. Our Lord, our our Savior, the Messiah, dies on the cross. There was no trickery here. There was a finality to it. A a come-to-conclusion moment where he was buried. He was laid in the tomb dead. And this was predicted earlier, not only in the book of Isaiah, but Jesus himself. He talks about this in Luke 9. Do you remember we just hit that? Three days later, Jesus resurrected. Again, let's pull ourselves away from just the passage itself. And let's insert ourselves into the moment, into a factual history that took place. What a mind-blowing experience. Are you, have we forgotten? Have I forgotten the weight of the resurrection? Because all threads 
that lead up to the cross, everything hinges on the resurrection. Everything hinges on the resurrection. If the resurrection doesn't happen, all of this falls apart. Everything falls on this pinnacle moment that death holds no hold over God. He takes the biggest negative and he turns into a positive. But knowing the cross is not good enough because Jesus commands us, if anyone's going to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily and follow me. This must come with action. That our cross, knowing the cross, is not just good enough. We have to live by action. So what's the cost? What's the weight? How does this change the way that we live? First and foremost, we know that the gospel holds a primary root for us. It's primary because it's foundation. Hold fast on the gospel. We rest on God's promises. And when we have a true understanding of the gospel, it changes everything. We can live without fear, anxiety, and worry because we have eternity with God. In baptism, we say when we baptize individuals, we're dead to ourselves and alive again in Christ. A public proclamation of an internal conversation, an eternal commitment that's taking place. That the gospel needs to be shared, not just with our friends and family, but with our workers, with our community, and with our neighbors. Because every thread connects back to the cross. If I was going to add one more thread today, it'd be Luke 9.23, and how that exemplifies our charge as we find a life first. But my question to you, what thread do you need to connect to your life? What is a life first that has been spoken in our summer series that have connected to you to empower you to go and make disciples? What do we do next knowing, not only just knowing the cross, but knowing the weight of the cross, the cost that it comes? Because all of us have been charged and tasked to go and make disciples. Sometimes we reserve this for maybe an Easter Sunday or Christmas Eve, and that would be a, a, a wrong impression of what we do here at Linwood. But I think it's time for just a Holy Spirit moment, a gospel moment to call us into action. There could be people here online who don't have a relationship with Jesus. First and foremost, I'm so glad that you're here. You are loved you are cared for. You're a part of our family of families. That's our final core value, is that we care for each other. And because we care for each other, we need to be able to provide an opportunity to say yes to him. I used to work at a summer camp. I worked, uh, I was at one point, I was a lifeguard and a horse wrangler. It's a confusing story. We'll get through that another time. But as a lifeguard, I got to witness people at different types of people around a swimming pool. You had those that were afraid of the water, you had those that were in the shallow end only, and then you had those that, that were in the deep end. And for those that were afraid of the water, they would do kind of one of these things. They would just do like the toe tap. I just want to make sure that the water's warm, and then I'll build the courage to come in. And for an experienced person in the pool, you never toe tap, you just jump right in. You just go for it. Maybe they were, it was more than just the temperature. They were just afraid of the water itself. And I view that as individuals who just don't have a relationship with Jesus. 
that are just afraid to take that first step into the water. Afraid to surrender. Maybe my family, my marriage is falling apart. Maybe I'm just more apathetic and that's creeping in my life every single day. I'm showing more anger in my life than I'm showing joy. Maybe it's time to just say, Jesus, I need to wrestle with you. I am yours and you are mine. Or maybe you're an individual that Luke 9, 23 is a little convicting. I feel apathetic about my relationship with Jesus. I'm just in the shallow end. I just am okay chilling in the shallow end. But over time, I see people on fire for Christ, and then I ask the question, what am I doing wrong? I'm not feeling anything. I'm not connecting anywhere at all. I'm just content in being the shallow end. And yet there's something more for us. There's a, when I was lifeguarding, you would see kids who were first time getting on the diving board. They would do the step, the the tap taps, and would get to the edge of the diving board. They would look in with fear and they say, is this it? Is this when I plunge? And when they finally make that courage step to spring off the diving board and into the depths of the water, what do they do? They get back out of the water, out of the pool, back on the diving board, and they jump again with just a little bit less fear. But they had to take that first initial step to jump into the water. Maybe Luke 9.23 is your anthem. Maybe Luke 9.23 is your diving board moment. The thread that connects you back to the weight of the cross. A reminder of the whole reason why we do this. A reminder of our mission statement. A reminder of our vision. A reminder of what we believe. Because in the end, what we tell our students every Wednesday night, that his love has always been greater. That you were made for greater things. If you're having this like Holy Spirit feeling like I should do something, here it is. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And the altars are going to be open. The cross is going to be open. And at home, if you want to turn that couch into an altar, please do so. But if you're feeling like, hey, I'm in, I'm not even in the water. And I just need to have a moment with Jesus. I need to be with him. No judgment here. The altar is open. And if you're someone that's saying, I'm in the shallow end. And I haven't taken a step into the deep end. I'm scared. What will it cost me? I'm saying, take the plunge. Take the plunge. Will you stand with me and accept this if you're willing and able? Lord, I am yours and you are mine. As we respond in worship, may we respond with our hearts open and our minds clear and an opportunity to feel your presence. If affirmations are needed, Lord, give affirmations. If convictions are needed, give convictions. But then may your spirit move in this presence right now. We love you. In your name, amen. If you feel a moment to call, this is your moment now to come forward as we worship together. Let's worship.